We've been covering uh, the core values of Crosswinds in, in both uh, locations over the past couple weeks. Uh, if you've been a part of that, you know our core values of a church are being gospel-centered. Uh, they're that we want to, the church to function like a family, and also that we want to value diversity. We want to welcome all of God's people uh, into uh, a community and uh, serve each other and love each other. So we're taking a little pause from that. We're going to be jumping back to it for the next few weeks uh, and we'll finish out that core value sermon series. But this week uh, I felt called uh, to go to Psalm 63. So that's where we're going to be. I don't know about you, but I love to hear like when everyone's like, hey, uh, Godwin Heights people, and then they all cheer, and Godfrey Lee people cheer, and West Side people, and then other people are like, woo, they're excited too. Like, I love the vision of seeing neighborhood congregations spread all around, that we can be on mission where we're at, and I love the idea just thinking about what would happen in 10 years. Like in 10 years, this combined service can't happen in this space. In 10 years, we're going to have to get a larger space to do that in. And just think how each of us can be the front lines for mission. How each of us can be on the edge of what God is doing. And God wants to enlist us. God wants to call us into that. I was thinking about what it takes to do that what each church is called to do. And there's three spheres where the church can function. This is any church. This isn't just our church. This is any congregation. But the three spheres, one is that we are called to love God. Or we might say uh, we have an inner life. There's a personal aspect in which you relate to God and you connect to God on a personal level. And then the second sphere is the life of the church, or you might say how we love one another. And then the third sphere is how we love our neighbors on mission. So we have love of God, which is an interpersonal relationship with God. We have the sphere of the church in which we are called to love one another, which we're called to function as a family. And then you have the sphere where we're supposed to uh, reach out and love our neighbors and share the good news of Jesus with those around us. And Crosswinds has specialized in the third one. We're like, we're going to be on the edge of the neighborhood. It's going to feel a little bit like the wild frontier. Like there's not going to be a whole lot of structure. Uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of programs because we're organized around reaching out to others. If you've been a part of uh, some churches, you might notice our structure uh, is not as traditional because we want to function like a family and have deep community, but we're organizing everything around the mission because God calls us to be on that mission. So we have a specialty in reaching out to the neighborhood. We have a specialty in being good neighbors. I mean, our motto is loving Jesus, loving neighbors. And we mean it. We don't just mean, hey, uh, uh, loving people you like. We mean loving all people. Not just people who look like you. Not just people who think like you. But all people around us in the neighborhood. Wherever God has placed you, he has called you. And if you've been involved in Crosswinds for a long time, you know there is rich 
community here that uh, people are often saying, how can I have your back? How can I be there for you? There are many people that sometimes family are the only ones you can ask to do something, but my family has expanded since I came to Crosswinds, and there's lots of people I can go, will you help me out with this? I know this is something you can only ask family members, and they'll say, well, we're family, so I got your back. But that third sphere, that personal rich relationship with God. If we don't have that rich inner life, the other pieces fall flat. If we don't have a personal relationship in which it's a rich relationship and deep with God, then our community life and our outreach life, our missional life, fall flat. You can't do the second two without the first one. And sometimes people talk about Sunday as their Sunday fill-up, like you're filling up on gas, which I always thought was funny because uh, I asked people on Monday, what was the sermon about? And they go, I don't know. I can't remember. And sometimes I need to scratch my head a little bit. What was it about? Like... So it's kind of a funny thing to say Sunday morning is my fill-up and I'm ready for the rest of the week. And I don't know about your experience, but uh, it doesn't fill me up for the whole week. Like, I'm like, that was good and I liked it and it was worth it. But I'm like, I don't know if it was like a fill-up. That's like saying you fill up your gas tank in Michigan and you're heading to California and you don't need to fill up your gas tank again. You're going to run into some trouble maybe around Iowa. Because you're going to be, well, I filled up in Michigan. I don't know what's going on. So we need more than Sunday mornings to fill us up. We need a personal and regular time with God. And our relationship with God should be more than just fuel for the other things. In fact, it's the aim. God has pursued us and, and sought us out. He sent Jesus to come to us, to seek us out, to die on the cross, to welcome us into his family. And he welcomes us so he can have a personal relationship with us, so that he can know us, so that we can know him. Uh, churches all around the world are currently celebrating the Reformation. Protestant churches all around the world are celebrating the five solas. If you're not familiar with the five solas, uh, about five, well, 500 years ago tomorrow, Martin Luther nailed a, uh, actually two days from now, but Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to Wittenberg door. And so that what that was, was him critiquing the church of that day. And what it sparked was a revolution that changed the world. That you're in this church because of what he did that day. So churches all over have been celebrating the five solas. That we are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone, uh, uh, according to scripture alone, uh, to the glory of God alone. And people have been studying that and teaching that. And we as a church believe that. That's at the heart of who we are. But one of the other things that sparked from the Reformation was the priesthood of all believers. That 
Every believer is a priest. Every believer has access to God. So when God set out to save us, it wasn't just so that we could have some priest tell us about God. Some priests gain us access to God. But he longed for each person to know God. And the truth is, you have access to God. If God has saved you, if you've experienced his love, God longs for a deep relationship with you. He doesn't long for secondhand spirituality. Now, sometimes people go, well, the priest is close to God, so I'll go talk to him. The priesthood of all believers says you don't need to depend on secondhand closeness to God, that you can do it yourself. Sometimes I hear people talk about pastors, and they're like, wow, he's just so close to God. It's amazing. I can't believe it. And they want to get close to him so they can get close to God. But the truth is, they have that very same access. They have that very same possibility for nearness to God. So people think, oh, I need to get close to someone who's close to God. But when in reality, you have that access, and that's what I want for you. I don't want you to depend on the pastors of this church to be close to God. I don't want you to depend on just Sunday mornings, as important as this is, to be close to God. I don't want you to settle and say, well, I'm a Christian who goes to church on Sundays. I understand doctrine, and I could tell you a lot of things about God, but I want you to know God. I want you to know his love because out of an overflow of a rich personal life comes a life of deep community and deep mission. And I think too many of us have settled for just a mediocre spiritual life. We're like, well, God has reached out to me and that's pretty cool. Well, it's time for you to reach out to God because he's right there. He's right there with you. And he wants that for you. And we as a church need to be close to God. We talk about what will it look like in 10 years? What kind of combined service we will have? And unless we have a rich life with God, it will not be spectacular. Unless each of us draw near to God. Maybe you're like, my missional life is lacking. My community life is lacking. Or maybe you've just settled for just, eh, I'm close to God, but not that close. Kind of depend on other people for the closeness to God. But the truth is, it is available to you. That's why we're going to go to Psalm 63. In Psalm 63, David gives us a glimpse of someone who is longing for God, a glimpse of someone who is remembering what it's like to be close to God, what it feels like, and then he tells us what it's like to live a life that is near to God. So Psalm 63, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 8. Let me read this. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. In a land that is dry, desolate, and without water, so I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. 
My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live at your name. I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches. Because you are my helper, I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you. Your right hand holds onto me. First thing we see here is that the psalmist here, who is David, he's in a wilderness and he's thirsting for God. Notice, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. Do you thirst for God? Notice he says he's in the wilderness. He describes it dry, desolate, without water. Now, he's in a literal wilderness at this point. But if you've ever been in difficult times, you know the real trouble is the emotional wilderness, the spiritual wilderness, the inner wilderness. Maybe you're going through a tough time right now, or maybe you've recently gone through a tough time right now, and you know when you're going through that, you have an ache. You ache in your soul for something. You have thirst. And so often, we're aware of certain thirsts. We're, uh, we're aware of thir- certain lesser thirst. Maybe you've had a rough day and you just say, I need a drink. Or maybe you've had a tough day and you're like, I need ice cream. Maybe you have a tough day and you're saying, I need McDonald's, which, I mean, that's, we know it's a low point, it's, it's, and we all have it. We're all like, I'm going to eat McDonald's, and it's going to feel good to my soul. And then afterwards, you're like, this is not digesting properly. What's going on? We have lesser thirst. Sometimes we're just like, I need alone time. We have this need, this ache. We're like, I've been around people too much. Maybe you have kids, and you're like, I need a date night badly. So we have these thirsts. I need a drink. I need some food. I need some rest. But are we aware that underneath all those thirsts, all those needs, all those aches, we should be thirsting for God? Is that on our radar? Sometimes when I'm like really thirsty, like it's a hot day, I've been working hard for a long time, and I'm just starting to feel it in my body. My throat's kind of dry. I'm like, I need a drink badly. And then someone offers me a Coke, and that's delicious. And it's good for a moment. But if you're really dehydrated and you just keep drinking soda, there's something that happens where your body just feels like, "Ah, I need something else. And that thirst quenching doesn't stay. But ever have that where you like have been drinking other things and you're like, mate, I think I just need water. I think, and then you have that water and it's like suddenly it just comes over your body. You're refreshed. You're like, oh my word. It's like we were designed to drink water and not sugar water all the time. (laughs) You're designed for that. 
And so often I'm like, I'm drinking, ooh, I'll have some Coke and Sprite and lemonade, and I'm drinking all this stuff, and like my body's like crying out, you need water. But there's no flavor there. But the truth is, we have lesser thirsts, and we think, oh, if I just have some Coke, I will feel better. But those aches in the wilderness are supposed to draw you closer to God. That the thirst, you need to identify it as a thirst for God. When we're in an emotional wilderness, when we have angst, I have angst all the time. Like, I'm always like, ah, and my wife's like, dude, you need to chill out a little bit. Uh, But I'm just, ah. But sometimes what my ache is isn't for all those surface level things, but it's deeper. I need to be near to God. It's Jesus who said, he was quoting Deuteronomy when he said it. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, he's saying, just like we have meals, and you know I am hungry, and I'm going to plan that I need to eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, fourth meal, snacks, other ones. Like, we're like, we plan that out. We're like, we need snacks in the house. We need this meal. We need this. Okay. Ever hang out with someone and they don't have the same timetable for when meals are as you? Like, has anyone ever had this experience? So sometimes my family has spent time with someone else. and It's like a Saturday and we've had breakfast and I'm waiting for lunch, and it's not happening, and I'm like, when, and I whisper, when are we going to eat lunch? And she's like, I don't know, maybe they don't have lunch, (laughs) but I have a food clock in my body that says, it's noontime, where's the lunch, and it's not coming, and I'm like, what are we going to do about this? Do And I'm like, do they just skip lunch? They just go straight from breakfast to dinner? Like, what are we going to do? I felt like I was in a wilderness, a food desert, if you will, and there was no lunch. Think of how much time we put into planning what we're going to eat and how we're like, well, I'm going to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm going to have a snack. I'm going to do all this. But Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of of God. Do we have an inner clock that says it's time to spend time with God? Do we have that plan in place? Because the idea of that is when you skip a meal, you're probably, you have this ache. You're like, I need to eat. I need some fuel. I need some energy. I need something that tastes good. Like you need that. But when you take a break from spending time with God, from taking in his word, from praying, do you have that? Do you have that thirst? Because that's what God is saying. Just as much as you need those plans, just as much as you need food regularly, so you need personal time with God on the regular. You need it. Like, as much as you need food, even more so, you need that time with God. As needy as we are for meals, we're even more needy to be near to God. 
And then how does he describe this longing? So he's in the wilderness. He's in this place of angst. He's emotionally dry. He's in difficulty. So he says, I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. He remembers the experience of worshiping God and longs to be closer to him. Well, how does he remember? So not every time, every day, every moment are you going to feel close to God. We go through difficult times. Sometimes I hear testimonies that someone says, well, I used to not be happy all the time, and now I am. Well, this is not a realistic, that person's lying to you. They are not happy all the time. Like, they are human, just like you. So the spiritual life is not just riding this ever-ascending roller coaster. It has ups and downs. It goes up and down. At times, you're going to be close to God. At times, you're going to feel like God is distant. And I just want to tell you that that is ordinary experience for people. But still, notice what drives David. He's in the wilderness now, but he's going back to what it was like to be near to God. And it's not that he's far away. He's going through a difficult time, and it's pulling him through. So what you need to remember is what it was like to experience his love, to be near to him, to what does the love feel like. And it pulls you through those deserts. It pulls you through the wilderness. Notice how he describes it. He says in verse 3, My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better, for the li- better than life. Your faithful love. That steadfast kind of love that sticks with you through it all. That's with you through each moment. That's with you through each failure. That's with you through each sin. The steadfast love that just keeps on keeping on. Maybe you've experienced that from another person in your life. Maybe a parent has done that. But God is the one with the most faithful love, the one that sticks with us, that sticks with humanity, even though you look out and you're like, there's so much chaos, there's so much destruction, there's so much evil. But this is the kind of God that has steadfast love even in the midst of that. And the phrase, your faithful love is better than life, brings to mind when people say, Oh, this is to die for. Or you haven't lived till you've had this. I used that phrase recently. Two years ago, Thanksgiving, I did not, I thought gravy was an okay food. But then my wife made the best gravy I have ever had. And I said, this gravy is to die for. I, there was like pre-gravy life and post-gravy life. Like that gravy changed my life. So you haven't lived, so people say that, you haven't lived till you've had Amanda's gravy. People say, you haven't lived until whatever, fill in the blank. You haven't lived till you've done this. And the idea is you, that since the faithful love of God is better than life, that you were designed to soak in God's love. And if you're living life before that, if you're living life without soaking in his love and resting in his love, you haven't lived yet because you were designed to live like that. You were designed to soak in the jacuzzi of his love. 
So I'm trying to think of languages because he's describing it's better than life. He's going to say other things. But you know that feeling when you step into a jacuzzi? You're just like, oh. Like at first it's like, ah, this is kind of hot. And then you kind of settle in. And it's the most refreshing feeling. You're just like all the aches and pains of your muscles just you just kind of melt in there. And what David is doing, he's pulling back on the feeling of what it was like to be near to God. So I'm trying to explain this too, that you were designed to soak in his love. You were designed to just melt in the jacuzzi of God's love. And this feeling will continue. Look at this. Uh, verse 4, it says, So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name I will lift up my hands. He says, You satisfy me as with rich food. Okay. In the original language, the rich food there, uh, it's literally translated marrow and fatness. You satisfy me as with food with marrow and fatness. Like, I'm like, that sounds delicious. It's like that feeling. So he's saying, what is being near to God? What is knowing his love like? He's like, it's like getting a prime rib dinner, and you take that bite, and you just close your eyes and go, ah. has anyone had this experience? Maybe prime rib isn't your thing. Maybe it's a rich chocolate dessert of some sort and you take that bite and you take it and you just have to close your eyes in ecstasy at the flavor and the feeling and just the richness and comfort it brings you. So he's not saying God satisfies you with rich food. He's saying to know God's love is like taking the best bite you've ever taken. That's what God's love is like. So he's pulling on these feelings. It's not saying that feeling is everything, but he's saying when you come to know his love, it gives you satisfaction. It gives you comfort. It gives you rest. I don't know about you, but I long for rest. I long for drawing near to God. I long to know and feel his love. And notice, a rich inner life is interconnected with a rich outer life here. Notice this is, my lips will glorify you in verse 3, because your faithful love is better than life. And he says, so I will bless you as long as I live. At your name I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So his experience of satisfaction in God's love, of experience the goodness of life that comes from that, is interconnected to the richness of speaking God's praise out in the world. So it's interesting. He says, your love is better than life, and it satisfies me as with rich food. But in between all those, he's saying, I can't help but worship God. The idea is that from our rich inner life flows a missional life, flows a worshipful life, and that we pass that on to others. If you don't feel a deep need for God, if you don't feel drawn to grow close to God, then your missional life 
where you're trying to share Jesus with others comes across as those people really need God. But if you have a rich inner life, what it comes across as when you are speaking of Jesus with others, you are saying, we all desperately need God. And maybe the reason why our missional lives don't sync up the way we long for them to do is because we don't feel a need for God daily. We don't feel like we need him. We're too rich. We have too much together. We don't feel like we need God, so why would we tell other peoples about God? Because we aren't acutely aware of our own need. What this psalm is saying is that we thirst for God. The ache in your heart is for God. And notice in verse 6 how he makes this a part of his life. Verse 6, when I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches. So in the quiet of the night, he's lying on his bed. What's he doing? What are we doing? Uh, When you lie in your bed and your head hits the pillow, that's usually a perfect time for us to worry and worry and worry and and be so concerned about what's going to happen and replay arguments you had with someone the day before. Anyone else do this? Anyone anyone else, when your head hits the pillow, you're like, oh, I should have said that. That would have been a good one. Uh, And we're saying, oh, if only I could have convinced them. And we worry about all these things that are going on. But the psalmist here says, when... I think of you when I lie in my bed. And he meditates on God. Now, it's not required that we would uh, have quiet times with God at bedtime. But the truth is that we need to slow down and set aside time to draw near. So if we do thirst for God, and we do, and we long to be close to God, then we need to have a plan. And in other places, the psalmist will say that he rises early in the morning, in the quiet morning, to spend time with God. When you think of Daniel, remember Daniel got arrested uh, and thrown into a lion's den because he was praying. And what his practice was, he had a plan. In the morning, I'm going to pray. In the midday, I'm going to pray. And then in the evening, I'm going to pray. So when they said, you can't do that anymore, guess what he did? He stuck to the plan. Jesus, oftentimes, over and over in the Gospels, it says he withdrew to to the wilderness. He withdrew to be alone to pray and spend time with God. Now, I'd ask you this. If Jesus made plans... And out the overflow of his rich inner life with God came his ministry. How much more do we need to have a plan? Meditation just means we are thinking that we are reflecting on God. You might think that you need to sit cross-legged on the floor, on a carpet, but this is not what you're required to do. You're required to think and contemplate on God. A study was done about spiritual vitality 
in the number one indicator of someone who has a rich spiritual life that is alive in their faith was their scripture intake. The number one indicator of a rich life is scriptural intake. That means you are meditating on the scriptures, that you're reading the scriptures, that you're praying through the scriptures. So let's be honest. I don't know if you have a plan to have a rich inner life, but it's important. I know for me, uh, the Godfrey Lee uh, (laughs) congregation has heard this a lot, uh, but up until recently, when I prayed, I just prayed for things to for good things to happen for other people. I prayed for things to happen. I prayed for success as a church. I prayed for those things. While at the same time, I had this emotional thing going on in here, and I never talked to God about that. I became aware that I'm just praying for other things, but I'm not dealing with myself. And prayer is designed for you to take all your cares and worries and speak them to God. I don't know about you, if you never share your heart with someone, you really aren't that close. It's when people become close, it's because they shared parts of themselves that are deep down there. So often we thirst and we angst and we're like, I need a drink, I need ice cream, I need this, I, I just need a loan... Maybe you do need alone time, but you need time with God to pour out your heart before him, and he longs to be near to you. And when you start out, it may not be easy. It may not feel natural. But I want to give you a few points. That The first thing we need to do is just make a plan. If you want to personally be near to God, if you don't want to depend on secondhand spirituality, You need to draw near to God by making a plan. When are you going to slow down enough that you can get close to God? Is it in the morning? Is it on a break at work? Is it at lunchtime? Is it before you go to bed? When is it? We don't want to be legalists about this. We don't want to make some rule. Okay, everyone, you have to do it this way. Many Christians have said, I'm going to pray three times a day. I'm going to pray just like Daniel, morning, midday, and in the evening. And you don't even need to be uh, that deep. You may just start, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer those three times. I'm going to slow down enough to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and pray that prayer. I don't know what plan will work for you, but here are a few components that need to be a part of that. One, you need to slow down. So what? I mean... I need this because I'm like, all right, I'm on my phone. I'm on my phone. I got things to do. I can always get more information. I can read another news article. I can do whatever. We need to slow down. We're constantly bombarded. We're constantly busy. We're never still. And what that does to our souls, we can't measure that. We can't measure what it does when we never slow down. So the first step is you need to slow down. Maybe that's, okay, I need to take a break and have this plan of the time I need to meet with God. The second thing is uh, scripture needs to be a part of that time. 
that you need to have a plan to intake Scripture, that you need to read Scripture, soak it in. Uh, I currently use a book that has different Scriptures each day, and you kind of pray through those Scriptures, and then it assigns other passages that you should read each day, uh, and then it has a time uh, for prayer. So slow down Scripture, prayer, spend time talking to God. Spill out your guts before God. If you're angry, be angry in your prayer and let God know about it. If you're depressed, tell God about it. If you are worrisome, tell God about it. That's what it's for. If you read the Psalms, a majority of them are laments. Laments are complaints. Laments are cries. And I don't know about your life, but I have a lot to cry about sometimes. I have a lot to complain about. And instead of letting that destroy my insides, we need to let God know about that. We need to speak to God. We need to draw near to him. And then also, something that's helpful for some people is in the midst of that prayer, just be silent. Now you're praying probably like, well, why would I be silent? Again, we're slowing down. We're slowing down enough so that we can draw near to God. And what can happen when we slow down enough to read some scripture, to spill our hearts before God, and then sit there in silence for a few moments, we begin to rest in God's love. Because when the psalmist talks about his relationship with God, he says it's better than life, that it satisfies as with rich food. But you can't get that if you don't make a plan, and you can't get that if you don't seek God. Now, if you don't have a plan now, I encourage you, start out with a simple plan. Pull Pick out just, I'm going to read a scripture passage. I'm going to read a psalm. I'm going to read a proverb. I'm going to read something in the Gospels. I'm going to read something in the New Testament. And just take time to pray. It does not have to be spectacular. It can be five minutes. But what happens as you go, it begins to build. You begin to draw closer to God. And notice this. He says, he's meditating him on during the night watches. Verse 7, because you are my helper, I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. See, his rich inner life of meditation overflows into his daily life. His life where he says, you, I rejoice in the shadow of your wings. You are always with me. You walk with me. You hold my hand. And the rich inner life is like a well in which you pull water up and you keep being refreshed because you are near to God, because you know his love, because you're soaking in that. And it overflows into the church life and it overflows into your life in the neighborhood and at your job, in your family. It makes you aware of God's presence. But here's the truth. Each of you can have that. We believe Jesus Christ died for our sins to welcome us into his family. And he rose again so that we could have new life. 
And for us to just sit there and not have a plan to draw near to God is not to walk fully in that new life. It is a gift to you. It's there to satisfy you. It's there to refresh you. And it's not just fuel for the journey, but it's the very aim. Wouldn't you love to be so close to God that people can feel it when they meet you? Well, guess what? It takes a plan. It takes a moment to step out. But you have all you need. You have thirst. And you have a God who's welcomed you and loved you into his family so that you can do that. If you need any help figuring out what should my plan be, I would be happy to help you. Ask the people around you. Ask the people in your huddle. Say, what's our plan for drawing near to God? Because it satisfies like the richest food. And oh, when we go through those tough times, if we just think, I am thirsting for God, and then we go to him and rest and soak in his love because he's calling us. He's gone all the way to the cross so that we could have that rich relationship with him. And I have great hopes for our church as we draw near to God, he will draw near to us and we'll be able to call other people who need him so desperately, who are thirsting for him to follow him. Let's pray.